You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Tonight we're dealing with touchy topics again, getting back into the, some of these things. And I got to tell you, like when I go through the touchy topics list and speak on things, many of these things to me aren't touchy. Because I've, I've got it settled in my heart. I know where I stand and I've had, uh, you know, a long time ago, I started looking into the Bible to figure out, well, what am I going to believe about this or about that? And so when we're dealing with some of these things, you know, for other people it may be touchy. For some of you, you may think, well, this isn't a touchy topic. We know this. But, but understand we're also in a, in a culture that normalizes sin and, and wrong behavior. So we need to have biblical answers. Tonight we're going to be dealing with alcohol. And uh, everyone's favorite topic, so we're going to be talking about that tonight. And uh, six people just walked out the back door. Okay, no, I'm kidding. But uh, Proverbs chapter 20, look at verse 1, if you would, please. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So there's, there's some instruction there. It's not a clear, thou shalt not ever drink NyQuil. I, I used this morning, and some of you are thankful for this. Before I walked out this morning from church, I used Listerine. And so, oh, wicked pastor, how could you? I didn't drink the bottle, all right? I just used it. But, uh, but there's, uh, I'm sure there's alcohol in there. So, you know, what, what is, what is, what's the answer here? What, what are we talking about? Look at chapter 23 of Proverbs, chapter 23. Let's try to get some more wisdom about what the Bible says here. Proverbs 23, look at verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions or fighting and strivings? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? In other words, you, you, well, how did I get that? What happened? Uh, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. So the results of drinking and drunkenness, right? Then thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea... Or is he that lieth upon the top of a mast? So think about that. If you're on the ocean and you're just laying out there in the waves or, you know, doing this number, you're on a mast on a ship and you're just laying down as that ship is bouncing through the waves, right? And, uh, and I'm sure the, the image of drunkenness and uh, a stupor and, and then uh, the next day the, the hangover coming is, is uh, being talked about there. Verse 35, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. So you wake up, and and you're not even sure how this happened, and and uh, you know where did I get these injuries? How did this happen? But you don't remember because you've woken up, 
and you have no idea what's going on. So obviously, we're dealing with drunkenness in this passage here and tarrying long at the wine. And uh, so we want to see some things tonight of, of what the Bible gives us some principles regarding. Father, we ask for your blessings tonight and, and instruction from your word. And I know that in these next few minutes, there's just no way possible to, to cover everything in regard to this. So I pray that you would guide tonight our conversation, our, our, the message, and, uh, and, and the reception of it, and what to cover, what not to cover, and uh, may you get glory through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the USA every year, there's 88,000 alcohol-related deaths, and this is an old statistic, 88,000. It makes it the third leading preventable cause of death. In 2012, there were 10,322 alcohol-impaired driving deaths. 28 people will die by, on average, two days in America from drunk driving. There is, uh, between uh, the varying st- uh, statistics, between eight to 15,000, I know it's a big area there, but uh, alcohol-related suicides every year. 200,000 new cases of alcoholism every year. 45,000 deaths from alcohol-related disease, but uh, 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 that's an old statistic. Here's what I wanted to say. 57,000 Americans were killed... 57,000 Americans were killed in the nine years of Vietnam. 57,000 Americans were killed in the nine years of Vietnam. Over one million were killed during the same time in America by alcohol. So, uh, you know, in that same time frame that 57,000 Americans were killed in Vietnam, over one million on our own soil were killed through various alcohol-related deaths. If you think in the Bible, there's many cases of drunkenness. Of course, the first one in the book of Genesis was Noah. Boy, and didn't he make some great decisions when he got drunk? No, he did not. How about the next case we see of drunkenness in major characters with Lot's daughters? Remember Lot's daughters? What happened there and the incest that was committed uh, with their own father, and, and, and because they got him drunk two nights in a row, and just the wickedness that was seen there. I think of Amnon, David's son. Uh, his other son, Absalom, had something against him, so he got him drunk and then killed him. I think about in the Bible, Nabal, uh, whose wife was Abigail. Nabal got drunk and then died shortly after that because of his foolishness. I think about Ahasuerus in the book of Esther, how he got drunk and decided to go against the culture and to go against the norm and try to bring his wife out and parade her uh, uh, like a piece of meat in front of all these other men. But he did it because he was drunk. And the next morning he regretted it. But it was too late because he did something foolish with drunkenness. I think we all know people, or I've heard stories at least, of people getting drunk and doing foolish, sinful things. I've never heard somebody getting drunk and preaching the gospel. I've never heard of somebody getting drunk and deciding to go out soul winning. I've never heard of somebody getting drunk and having an all-night prayer meeting. Usually it doesn't lend itself to good things. And the vast majority of us in here would be like, hey, amen, I agree with that, I'm with you 100%. But we live in a culture that normalizes drinking, and we live in a Christian culture that is saying there's nothing wrong with it. I've got friends that I went to college with that drink regularly now. And then go to church on Sunday. But, you know, it's amazing that every one of those people that seem to do that also have gotten divorced and also are barely in church at all. Maybe there's some correlation with some of these things we ought to think about. Go in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 
The Bible talks about in the Old Testament, woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink. There, there's, there's a lot of verses in Scripture that deal with the dangers of it and how unwise it is. But you'll be hard-pressed to find verses that just come out and say, never, ever do this. Never, ever do that. But can we discern some wise things from Scripture in regards to this conversation? I believe we can. First of all, let's look at something we are told explicitly not to do. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, and be not drunk with wine. There could be no clearer statement there. How drunk? <laughs> Just drunk. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So here's the thing that, and I don't know, I've never been drunk. I cannot say that I've never tasted alcohol. I wish I could say that. I lived in Germany. They have Oktoberfest. They've got a lot of stuff going on over there. I'll be honest. I've, I've made, uh, I, but I, even as a teenager, uh, it, mistakes there. And I wish I could say that I never have. And many of you feel the same way I do. Some of you are smiling like, we knew it, Pastor. You're too happy. We knew you were a drinker. No, I don't, okay? <laughs> Since I was that age as a teenager, all right? And maybe I shouldn't have confessed my sin. Anyway, but uh, you're going to hold that against me now. But uh, I... How do you know where the line is between what's drunk and not? And so it's just, it's just wisdom to say, why would I do any of it if God says that there is, that when you are drunk, it is sinful? Because how do you know how much is too much? Well, I know my tolerance. Oh, <laughs> how did you figure that out? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's see something else here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So there's a very clear command there. Do not, be, do not get drunk. That's the clear command. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Of course, we covered this several weeks ago on Sunday morning, a little bit this passage. Know ye not, verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, in other words, saved people don't do these things. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, no revilers nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, in other words, you, before you got saved, these Corinthian people, you were involved in all of these ungodly practices like fornication and adultery and drunkenness. But now that you're saved as a Christian, that life was put away from you. How much fornicating is okay now? Well, none. How much adultery is okay now? Well, well none. How much uh, drinking and drunkenness is okay now? None. None. It's, uh, it all is put away from you. And uh, thieves, stealing, covetous, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, it, it's not what Christians are to do. So we've got a, a very clear command there about drunkenness. Now, here's the thing. What about the argument that people say, and I've got so much material on this topic, I've been researching it for a long time, and, and I, will, I just have to boil it down because there's no way I could uh, get to everything tonight. But, but what about the argument that people in the Bible drank wine? 
What about that argument? Well, people in the Bible drink wine. Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. And I've got a whole thing on that, but I won't get into it. But I will say, you know, people today use this as an excuse to drink whatever they want. Well, in the Bible, they drank wine so I can have some bourbon when I need it. Well, in the Bible, they drank wine so I can have a beer or wine or brandy or a little gin or a little uh, a martini or whatever I want. And, and uh, I can have that because in the Bible, they did it because in their minds, uh, in some people's minds, and Christians included, uh, uh, that if drinking was okay in the Bible, then all bets are off, right? Because if, if wine is allowed and wine is obviously very alcoholic in people's minds, then, then that would mean that everything's okay, right? Well, I would challenge that assumption because there is a big assumption there. Here's the big assumption that's being made that we need to remember. People assume that what we have today is what they had 2,000 years ago. And that's the big problem that I want to put on your screen here. The big problem is that wine in the Bible was significantly different than the wine of today. In today's, in my vineyard, what we do, I'm kidding, I have a vineyard, but uh, uh, you know what, uh, the, <laughs> you already admitted to it, Pastor, no. Uh, but if you'll, you can research this, I've, I've read a lot of stuff on this, and there's varying reports, but there is saccharin, there's sugar, there is a fermentation process, there's distilling. There's a whole process to get the wine that they have today. You ever see a wine waterfall in nature? No. Because it doesn't happen. The wine doesn't ferment in the grapes on the vine. It is a man-made process. Now, there are natural yeasts that would occur in Palestine and Israel and all that area. There, there are natural yeasts that would lend to some fermentation, but it is nothing compared. It's nothing compared to what we have today. And uh, we need to understand, the, the, the word wine in the Bible does not automatically mean uh, something intoxicating. When you see Bible wine, there are many words in the Bible for wine. And you think about that, we talk about, the Bible talks about new wine off the vine. Well, you know for a fact that if you go and you get some grapes and you stomp them like they do in those weird things, you know, and you drink that, you're not going to be drinking fermented alcoholic beverage. You're going to be drinking grape juice. And most of what is talked about in the Bible is grape juice. Even when, you know, when you talk about what's good for your stomach, Timothy, Grape juice is naturally good for your stomach. Alcohol is not good for your stomach. Why would he tell him to drink something that's harmful for him? So some of that's common sense, right? But uh, think about this. When we talk about the fact that the, the word wine in the Bible does not automatically mean something intoxicating like it does today. We, the word wine in our language really is referring to something that has a high alcohol content. But did you know, and I have a picture of this somewhere, that Welch's grape juice, what used to be advertised as wine, it said it on the bottle. Welch's wine. Well, you know, was it alcoholic? No, it wasn't. But that was wine because the word wine was used for many different things long time ago. We use it in one specific way. There are many mentions of wine in the ancient world, and I've got tons of references for this, but I want to bore you with them, that specifically stated how wonderful the taste of it was, but that it had no intoxicating factor. It, was, it wasn't intoxicating. It was simply, look, they had the choice of here's some water or here's some grape juice, and it was much better, the grape juice, than just drinking water all the time. People in the Bible days knew 
And, and this is an argument to people. Well, how did they keep it from fermenting? They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have all that. They had a lot of ways to keep it from fermenting. There was many different ways in the Bible. Most of the time, they would boil it down, which would, by the way, kill all the alcoholic content if there was any anyway. They would boil it down into a sugary, uh, syrupy substance and uh, put it in wineskins or put it in sealed bottles and jars. And then they would take it out and they would simply just add water. It was like a, a concentrate. You ever go to the store and you get like the little uh, thing, like Minute Maid juice concentrate and you take it out, you know, and you just add water to it? That is similar to what they would do in ancient Israel. Think about this for a second. This, this will help us understand the Bible a little bit. In, we talked about Nabal a minute ago. If you'll remember 1 Samuel chapter 25. In 1 Samuel 25, David and his men come to a, come to a man named Nabal and say, hey, we took care of your guys and protected them. And now David's on the run from Saul. And he says, and I'd like you to please just give my guys some food since we spared your men and we kept them alive. We didn't have to. We didn't know them, but we were just kind to them. Would you mind just being kind back to us? And Nabal said, man, who? I don't know this David, some guy running away from his master. I'm not going to do anything. And so David says, well, we're just going to kill him. And, but Nabal's wife, Abigail, who eventually becomes the wife of David, Abigail runs out and says, this, and by the way, the name Nabal means fool. He says, she's a, this guy's a fool. And, uh, and she runs out to meet David, and notice this verse in 1 Samuel 25, 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves, two bottles of wine, and five sheep ready dressed, and five measures of parched corn, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and laid them on asses to give to David. Listen to that verse again. One of these things doesn't make sense. 200 loaves, 200 loaves of bread, two bottles of wine, five sheep that are ready dressed, five measures of parched corn, and 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs. So hundreds of different things, but two bottles of wine. Why? Because it was concentrated. They would take a little bit and pour in a ton of water. That's what it was. That's why it was only so much. Because uh, uh, it, it was a concentrated thing. It wasn't, hey, here's just two bottles to get you drunk, David. No, it was for the, the whole group. But it was something that was, uh, uh, it, it was concentrated. Furthermore. Even in the Bible, it's obvious that some wine did contain alcohol and naturally fermented. It would be significantly less than what we see in alcohol today. Say, why? Several reasons. Distillation was not invented to the 8th century. So they didn't have the distillery aspect of it. Uh, they didn't have modern practices and chemicals which are added now, which are available now to make the wine stronger. They didn't have that. So it was much less, 2 to 3 to 4% alcohol compared to what we see today. It was diluted with water. Even you can find, uh, if you research this, you can find that pagans even said, we don't drink wine without it being diluted. That's, what, that's barbaric. You know? Even like you know, the partying people today said that. Here's what I, but here's an interesting thought that I want you to understand. There was a research, uh, uh, a study done on this. And the study concluded this. It would take... 27 glasses of wine, 27 glasses of wine from Jesus' day to equal the alcoholic content of two martinis today. 
That's a big difference. That's drinking gallons of, of their alcoholic wine, uh, uh, the naturally occurring uh, yeast found in, in, in those days, to, to get drunk. That's a lot more than what we see today. What I'm trying to say is, when you read the Bible, it's comparing apples and oranges to say, well, they drank wine, so I can drink any alcohol I want. You are using that as an excuse if that's what you do. Because it's two different things. Completely different things. I remember years ago I was in college. And I, I, you know, I, I didn't come from you know, a horrible background. But I, I came from a background certainly of sin. I was not in church for many, most of my teenage years. I remember walking to church and seeing an unopened bottle of alcohol. Just on the road. And I can't even tell you how many times certain things would, and I don't mean appear as in like, I look, they're not there, then I look back and it is there, like some magical thing. But there would be things that would appear on my pathway that made no sense, that I haven't seen any time since then. Packs of unopened cigarettes left on a step right there when I was walking up. Uh, uh, alcohol, unopened bottles in my path, like right in my path. And I really think as I was going to college, the devil just wasn't happy about it. And he wasn't happy I wanted to serve the Lord. And I remember seeing that bottle there unopened just sitting on the sidewalk. No one was around. I could have taken it. I didn't because it wasn't a temptation to me. But there is a big temptation in it. But let me just ask you this. Have you ever stopped to think that the devil doesn't tempt you to do something good? If there's a temptation from the devil, then it's not attempted to do something good. It's tempted to do something wrong. So the, this argument, the, the big problem I have with it is that you're comparing apples and oranges. Now, if you, if you just really think it's biblical to drink wine, then I would say, okay, then you take a splash and you cover it with a gallon of water, and that'd be okay, which I don't even think that's okay, but that's what kind of was in the Bible. Now, let me just get to this next part here. What effect does alcohol have? This is not a science class, but I want to just go through these and ask you if you think that it's still wise for Christians to drink. Again, liquor is, is not present in nature. There's no beer waterfalls. There's, no, uh, uh, there's nothing like that. You, it's processes made by people, distilled and things like that. But we see, first of all, alcohol affects you physically. Physically. Uh, if you do ever watch, uh, go, to, go to science class or whatever, you'll find it destroys your liver. There's cirrhosis of the liver. There's other things. The liver, by the way, is the purifier to filter home for chemi- harmful chemicals out of your body. So that's not a good thing. It causes sickness and hangovers. The Bible even talks about that. And by the way, that should be a sign that something's not good. Look, if I eat a food and I get food poisoning from it, I'm probably not going to go back. Well, I, to be honest, I did. I got food poisoning twice from Chipotle, and I still went back, okay? So that's not a good illustration. But, but uh, normally, if your body's rejecting something and it causes you to be sick, that may be a sign that's not good for you. It's a poison. It not only does that, it damages your brain. You know, people have for years said, well, look at all the health benefits of alcohol and wine. And I have looked on the Internet and searched up for those things, and you get, guess what? All the new science is saying, no, there's really no good benefit from it. There's really no good benefit from it at all. Uh, You become emotionally unstable. There are mean drunks and there are kind, nice drunks. I had one of each as grandparents. 
Uh, loss of muscle control, slurred speech, no coordination, stumbling. Uh, your, the, uh, your, your midbrain is affected where you get into a drunken stupor. It paralyzes areas of your brain stem that control breathing. Hit and run accidents, car accidents, spousal abuse. All the things that have happened, and you talk to some of our police officers, and they'll tell you when they go to these uh, spousal situations, alcohol is always involved, always involved. We had a teenager in our youth department years ago, probably 14 years ago now, and uh, she came to our teen department, came to a couple of teen activities, and uh, one of her friends is still in our church, still attends church, and uh, on her, on her uh, prom night, she went to, I think she went to Jordan High School here, and on her prom night, she got into a car with her boyfriend who had been drinking. And uh, this, teen, this lady came, this girl came to teen activities and came to church with us and many years ago, and she got in the car that night, and because he was drunk, she knew he was drunk, he was drunk, he flipped his car on the 405 freeway. He lived, she didn't. You know, alcohol, alcohol does this to people. I don't understand why people, Christians think it's no big deal. It it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Absolutely. Uh, There's a greater risk of cancer in your mouth, esophagus, pharynx, larynx, liver, and breast. There's greater risks of cancer involved. My grandfather was a drunk the entire time I knew him, before he went into eternity. I believe he was saved, I think. We talked to him, and he seemed to have a testimony. But he would be in his truck driving, and to hide alcohol, he would have alcohol in his truck, and that's when he would drink, as he was driving. I just, you know, and and I, I remember many times sitting with him, and him being just, you know, I'm not trying to badmouth my grandfather. I loved him, of course I did. But many times I would sit in the room with him and he would just mutter things and say words that made no sense and, and laugh at it. And my, uh, my poor mom had to drag him into the house time uh, when she was a teenager because he was so falling down drunk. You know, it, it, and you see that kind of stuff and you think people want to mess with this. People want this in their life. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Alcohol affects you physically. It affects you mentally. It affects you mentally. It impairs your judgment. Uh, again, bad decisions that are made. Uh, even, even in uh, uh, Proverbs 31, uh, the, the warning there to Lemuel, the king, was, hey, don't drink. Don't even put it to your mouth. You know, it's not for kings to drink wine or strong drink. You're gonna, your heart's going to be turned. Don't do it. It lowers your inhibitions. People do foolish things they would never do if they weren't drinking. And then I think about uh, all the great decisions people make. I don't think they make them after they drink. It affects you materially. It affects your prosperity, your happiness. It leads, the Bible talks about it, it leads to ruin in Proverbs 23. It leads to poverty in Proverbs 21 and 23. It leads to strife in Proverbs 23. It leads to woe and sorrow in Proverbs 23. It affects you. It affects your, what you own and what you have. Number four, it affects you morally and spiritually. It affects you morally and spiritually. It's deceitful. People use it to escape reality. Uh, it's, it's, it leads to indifference in the work of the Lord, Isaiah talks about. It is usually coupled with other sins. You see people drinking, they're usually doing something else too, whether it be gambling, nakedness, whatever it may be. And that's all throughout Scripture. Genesis 9, 21, Habakkuk 2, 15 and 16. I was at the store Last week, I'm trying to think when Valentine's Day was, this past week, 
and I went to the store to buy uh, some things. I told you recently, I got some flowers for my daughters and some flowers for my wife, and I was picking up some different snacks and things to try to make a Valentine's Day nice, and I, I, I was doing those things, and I was walking around, I had a cart, I hate getting a cart. I'd rather carry 400 things and get a cart. But anyway, that's because I'm a dumb man. But that's what I do And uh, when I go to the store. And so I'm walking around. I finally gave in and got a cart. And I'm pushing my cart. And I've got flowers everywhere sticking out. And I've got, you know, like chocolate-covered strawberries and just different things, you know. And uh, a guy walks by that works there and says, hey, don't forget the wine. I was like, got six bottles, buddy. No, I'm kidding. But uh, y'all going to walk out here tonight thinking, pastors are drunk. I knew it. But... Uh, and, you know, I didn't take my stand there and, and, you know, how dare you, sir? I said, no, I'm not a drinker. Thank you, though. He's like, the wine's good. No, thanks, I'm not a drinker. You know, it doesn't mean that because you are trying to live a life of abstinence in regard to this, that you have to just preach your convictions to others, but you better live your convictions. You better figure out what you decide on this. I'm looking at our young people and thinking, man, you better make a decision. I made a decision as a teenager that I will never again ever let alcohol touch my lips. Never again. And I have kept that, by the way. But uh, I feel like I have to say that now because I've made so many jokes. But, but absolutely, and I will say this as well, it leads to addiction. Leads to addiction. Can I just say this? Alcoholism is not a disease. Nobody sneezes and catches alcoholism. It's an addiction. It's an addiction just like everything else is, uh, most other things is. Now, I, I understand that some people are more d- uh, disposed to it than others. Some people are more hooked on it than other people. And let's not pretend there's not people in our church that don't struggle with this. I'm not here to beat you over the head. I'm trying to give you a Bible about what it says and the dangers of it and warn you. What kind of pastor would I be if I'm not warning you? I'm not telling you what the Bible says about things. But back in our original text... In Proverbs 23, verse 35, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. You see celebrities going to rehab all the time because they can't stop drinking out. It becomes a way of coping. By the way, oh, Jesus drank alcoholic wine. Prove that to me. At the Passover, Jesus had alcoholic wine. Uh, Well, alcohol contains leaven, and it was unleavened bread that Jesus used because leaven is a picture of sin. So why would he use leavened juice? That makes zero sense. If he's creating wine, he's creating it new. Why would he create it after it has sat and fermented for a long time? He's creating new wine. New wine is grape juice. And in the Bible, it says not to put a strong drink to your neighbor's lips. Why would Jesus do that? So that, that argument to me is ridiculous. And maybe tonight you're still not convinced, and maybe some of you still think, hey, you know, well, it's okay in certain situations and all that. Can I just ask one question? What good does it ever do you? I can list you, and I can show you dozens of Bible verses of the dangers, of the warnings against of the warnings of giving it to others, of the bad decisions that were made because of it. I can give you dozens of verses about that. I can show you how different the wine in in, in that day was than what we see today. But I dare you to say, give me a list of the good things that come from alcohol. Because really, 
there's nothing. Well, you know, it, it's good for your health. No, it's really not. Look it up. And you can find an article to, to say whatever you want to say, but I've read a lot about it. What good does it do? Does it bring you closer to God to drink alcohol? Where it takes away your faculties? Does it set you apart as a Christian? Does it give you a good testimony? I think it's time as Christians, we, we, we take a stand even amongst, even in, in the midst of other Christians who say it's totally okay. And, and, and again, you don't have to preach your convictions to everyone, but you ought to be willing to take a stand and say, no, I don't do that. And if they ask why, well, let me give you some thoughts. Since you asked, here's what we talked about. Did you know that 27 <laughs> uh, glasses of wine is equal? You know, even the alcoholic wine in the Bible day, for those who did, There's just so much to this. And I want to just say, look, if you've never had alcohol, why don't you just make the decision never to have it? What are you missing out on? You missing out on the tree wrapped around the, the, uh, uh, the car wrapped around the tree? You missing out on the 405 freeway crashes? You missing out on the nakedness that I see walking down my street from drunk people? Is that what you're missing out on? You missing out on being cool in society when you go out with your friends? It's ridiculous. Grow up. Ridiculous. This is, this is serious business. And, and look, I'm the one that's going to do the funeral when people die of this. And I, I'm sick of it. I, I really think it's a wickedness. Billy Sunday used to call it liquid hell. Alcohol. And I'm not, again, I'm not mad at anybody. I really don't have anybody in mind. But since we're talking about touchy topics, this is it tonight. Why don't you, if you've, if you've had alcohol, why don't today you just say, you know what, I'm done. If the, if the nurse wants to give me NyQuil, okay, but other than that, I'm not touching anything that is meant to make me drunk. Nothing alcoholic in my life. And don't buy into this culture that normalizes and condones it. And just go back to that thought. What good does it do you? What good does it ever do? Because there's sure a lot of verses where God says nothing good comes from it. So just a thought for you tonight. I know this is the fun message. Alcohol. <laughs>